Amen. Well, again, thank you for joining us tonight. We're in Galatians chapter 3. And the title is No Longer a Slave. And Paul is telling these Galatians, uh, you don't need to be under slavery to the law. Things, things have changed because Jesus came. A little bit of a reminder of what Paul has already talked about. He talked about the covenant that God had with Abraham. It was the promise. And then God made a covenant, uh, an agreement with Abraham. And it wasn't a covenant that depended upon Abraham doing anything except trust in his God and believe his God. God, when he cut the covenant and Abraham took the animals and made the sacrifice, cut them apart, and then he went and sat down, and then a deep sleep came over him. We read in, in, excuse me, in Genesis chapter 15, and, and it was the Lord who was coming and walking between the carcasses that were cut, and making a covenant, a promise for Abraham. And while Abraham was sleeping, could do nothing, God was telling Abraham, I'm going to do everything. And the agreement that I have with you is an agreement of my love and all that I'm going to do for you. And I'm going to do it through you, Abraham, for the seed, Jesus Christ himself, my son, will one day come to this world. Abraham, I'm going to do it all. And he even made the agreement while Abraham was sleeping, waking up, and he saw God make the agreement. Then in A.D. 33, Jesus came and he fulfilled the agreement that God had made. And Jesus paid in full it is finished on the cross of Calvary. He sacrificed himself, gave his precious blood that the agreement that God promised Abraham could finally take full effect. Paul's point was this. Number one, Paul's point, nothing can change or alter God's contract, God's covenant by fire that was given to Abraham and then stamped paid in full on Calvary's cross. Nothing, nothing could change what God would do for this world and for Abraham and for all who would be blessed through this seed that would come through Abraham, the promise of, of, of the child that God would give to Abraham and finally would end up in Jesus Christ himself. Review of a couple verses, Galatians 3, 17 and 18. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, later than the promise, later than the covenant that was cut by fire that God gave to Abraham, why it cannot annul the covenant which was confirmed before God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of the promise, no longer of the covenant, no longer of what God himself 
has done. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So God made this promise to Abraham, this agreement, and he sent his, he did it by giving Abraham a miraculous son, uh, Isaac, and through the line of Isaac would come eventually Jesus Christ, the seed that Paul was talking about. And everyone who wants to be blessed by God, everyone can come to Christ and be blessed. And what Paul is saying here is that the law didn't come until 430 years later. And the law didn't change anything. The law is completely irrelevant when it comes to this agreement that God made with Abraham. What a fabulous truth. But the Judaizer, who's been coming and bothering uh, the Galatians, he would fire back, verse 19, he would fire back and say, well, (laughs) what purpose then does the law serve? Well, I mean, why would God even give the law? And if becoming a Christian today is based simply upon believing God, receiving his promise, resting in what he's done, that's crazy. Then why would God give the law? Well, Paul answers as we go on with verse 19. It was added because of transgressions. It was added because people had a problem with sin. Sin had entered this world. And this world is a fallen world. And it was because of transgression, tell the seed, tell Jesus himself, should come to whom the promise was made. So the law was given to temporarily cover our sins, the sins of the Old Testament saints. The law was given to cover their sins until Jesus himself would come, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world by his sacrifice until Jesus would come into the world. And as we go on with verse 19, and it, the law, was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. That's a fascinating statement. Think with me about what Paul is saying there and and what uh, the Lord's heart is there. The laws was a two-party conditional agreement. Both parties basically had to sign on the dotted line to do their part. And when you have two parties making an agreement, you have to have a mediator that makes sure that they follow through and do the agreement. A judge is needed to verify that both parties have fulfilled the requirements. But we don't need a mediator between us and Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying here. Because Jesus himself is both the mediator and the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. God the Father promised God the Son fulfilled the promise. And so Paul says, God is one. God has done the whole work on the cross of Calvary. First 
Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He fulfilled the promise, the contract that God made with Abraham that was for all mankind. And God said, I'm going to do it all. And at just the right time, God sent his son who died on the cross to bring the complete fulfillment of his promise, promise of blessing that would come through Christ. Verse 21, Paul still dealing with the law. Is the law then against the promises of God? Well, certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, Truly, righteousness would have, have, would have been through the law. Paul, Paul says, no, certainly not. The law had nothing to do with this plan of, of forgiveness of sins through the seed, through Jesus Christ. God never intended for the law to give life. Paul stresses that the law can only bring one thing, and that's condemnation. The law can only bring a curse because no one can live up to the requirements of the law. And Paul goes on to say, God's word itself in the Old Testament, it points this out. Look at verse 22. The scripture has confirmed that all are under sin. That as hard as we might try to fulfill the law, We'll never be able to get there. But the promise by faith in Jesus Christ, that's what God wants to give to all those who believe. The scriptures can find all under sin. Psalm 143.2 For in your sight, no one living is righteous. And probably a verse that we all know, Isaiah 64, 6. All our righteousness, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags, shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. What does the law do, Paul says? Well, the law came after the promise, and what the law was for, it was to confirm that we need the promise. We need the Savior that Abraham was promised that would be the seed from him that God would do in a miraculous way. That's the reason the law was given, Paul says. You see, the promise given to Abraham preceded by centuries the law that was given later to Moses. You see, grace came first. <laughs> I love that. The purpose of the law was to reveal our need for God's grace, our need for God's mercy through our Lord and Savior Jesus on the cross of Calvary. It was given to lead us to a place where we might receive the grace giver himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father promised. God the Son fulfilled the promise on the cross of Calvary. God is one. Jesus' sacrifice takes away our sin for eternity. Verse 23, we go on. But before faith came, 
Paul says, speaking of the law, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, verse 24, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law of Moses would prepare, it was God's plan that the law would prepare God's people to come to their Savior. Number one, by the way that it revealed God's character, that he lives an unapproachable holiness and righteousness, and that we all fall short of the glory of who God is. And when we fall short, it's called sin. And sin destroys and kills. Also, it exposes our sin. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. The purpose of the law of Moses was fulfilled, or is fulfilled, excuse me, when we stop trying to be religious, trying to live up to rules and regulations or try to find God through rituals, when we simply come to Christ, we open our heart to Him, and by faith we are justified by His sacrifice on Calvary's cross. Again, way back to time of Abraham, grace came first. God promised that he would send his son. And then his son came and Jesus fulfilled that promise on the cross of Calvary. God is one. Jesus' sacrifice takes away our sin for all eternity. And Paul is hammering this home. Verse 25. After faith has come, he says, after faith has come, let this sink in, We are no longer under a tutor. We are no longer under the law. The law was a tutor. To pencil, red pencil in hand, circling, showing us where we fall short, highlighting our mistakes, showing us the glory of God and who He is, showing us that we can't do this on our own, pushing us, to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ came into the world. The law is no longer to be a part of our lives. When you invite Jesus into your heart, you have a personal relationship with Him, and you walk with Him, and He speaks to your heart, you fall in love with Him. The law has nothing to say about our relationship with Christ. Uh, It's a radical statement. If God hadn't said it, I'd be afraid to share that. But Jesus Christ fulfills the law within our hearts. He, number one, we're righteous forever because He died for us. We're justified, just as if I'd never sinned. But then He loves us so much He doesn't leave us the way that we were. He begins to sanctify us, change us from the inside out, and make us holy like Jesus himself is.
Verse 26. For you all, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Not trying to be religious or live up to the law. By faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, why you have put on Christ. This is not a water baptism. This is a spiritual baptism. We're born again. We're born from above by the Spirit of the living God and we're baptized into by the Spirit of God into the very family of God and we become a a new creation and we put on Christ, spiritually baptized, and we are robed with His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, well, he's a new creation. Spiritually born again. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Therefore, when the Father looks at you, when the Father looks at me, He doesn't see you or he doesn't see me in my old sin or in your old sin. All he sees is we've put on the righteousness of Christ himself. We're in Christ. We're robed in his righteousness. Oh, that's good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God made him who knew no sin my Lord Jesus, your Lord Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might become the very righteousness of God in him. What an incredible gift we have been given. And when you become a, a child of God through faith in Christ, through, through believing, putting your faith in him, putting your life in his hands, becoming born again, by simply believing and receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, behold, all things have become new. How new? How different? Well, it's crazy what Paul says next. Verse 28, in Christ. Why? Neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one, in Jesus Christ. In other words, the things of this world, when it comes to the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, the things of this world were transported into eternity. The moment that we receive Christ as our Savior, our eternal life starts. And through Jesus, we all become one. We become and become part of God's family for eternity. All barriers are broken down. We're all one in Christ. We're all sinners who have been saved by mercy and grace of Jesus. The cross of Christ is the great equalizer. We all stand together at the foot of the cross. And Paul goes on, verse 29. And if you are Christ's, 
Well, then you are Abraham's seed. In other words, you've entered into the agreement that God had with Abraham. You're Abraham's seed spiritually and heirs according to the promise, the agreement, the covenant that God said he would do all of the work. He would be the one that would pay the price paid in full on Calvary's cross to bring blessing to anyone who would open their heart to him through Jesus. Since all Christians belong to Jesus the Messiah, all Christians are spiritual descendants of that promise made to Abraham. As Abraham was the father of faith, he becomes our father because we are of faith in Christ like Abraham was. And then we become heirs of God. This place of high privilege comes according to the promise, has nothing to do with the law, has nothing to do with works or earning God's favor, has everything to do with God fulfilling his promise through Jesus Christ on the cross. We're connected together with a long line of God's people assembled through all the ages. Now as we move into chapter 4, remember Paul, what he said back in verse 24 of chapter 3, the law was our tutor with one specific purpose to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, not by works. Paul is building on this truth as we continue on in Chapter 4. After faith in Jesus has come, we're no longer under the law, our tutor. We exchange a servant relationship based on the law. You'll be blessed if you keep the law, was for God's covenant people, Israel. And it was an agreement between God and his people, the law was, for their life on this earth and they're becoming a nation but the law for them was also to show them that they needed a savior and the relationship that we now have in Christ it has nothing to do with being that servant trying to obey the law our relationship with our savior is a family relationship and it's based on his love for us and our response in love to him. It's a love relationship between Jesus and his people. Now, Paul goes on, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. He's talking about the Old Testament people who did believe in Christ, looking forward to the promise though he's master of all. But, verse 2, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Okay. So he says, yes, God's people had the law. But the reason that they had the law was because the promise hadn't been fulfilled yet. And they were being held and pushed into their need for 
their Savior, Jesus. But until he came, they were like children and they haven't, weren't able to receive the promise completed yet. Illustration, when Donald and, Mar- and Marla Trump had a little baby girl, Tiffany, she was an heir to the Trump fortune, absolutely. This little trumpet um, one day possibly will inherit multiple millions of dollars. But when she was a little child, when five years old, she couldn't write checks. She didn't have credit cards. She couldn't make investments, even though she was an heir. Being a child, she was under the restrictions and of her parents and nannies and, and teachers. And the same is true of God's people before Christ came. Before they were brought into a full adult sonship through Jesus Christ after he died on the cross, they were kept by the law who was a tutor, a guardian, a steward to bring them to Christ when he would come. And God knew all along that he would send his son to die for his people for that was the promise that was made to Abraham some 400 plus years before the law was even given. By faith, Abraham and all the Old Testament saints, well, they looked forward to Jesus' sacrifice for their sins that would take place on Calvary's cross in 33 AD. We, we look back to the cross. The Old Testament saints that gave their heart to Jesus looked forward. The saints that have come to Christ today, we look back to the cross of Calvary. And while they were looking forward, the law treated them as children because they didn't have the complete adoption yet because Christ hadn't come. Even so, verse 3, even so we, when we were children, and Paul's talking about the Jewish nation and Jewish people before Christ came, we were in bondage under the elements of this world. Elements of this world. Interesting statement. What is that talking about? Well, it refers to law and the need for law. Why is law referred to in this way? Because the basic building block of society, it's got to be law. Any society that ignores foundational principles of the law will crumble and dissipate and ultimately be destroyed from within. And the problem with the law isn't necessarily the law itself. It's there to protect people and to give direction and to keep society safe. But the problem with the law, it can tell us what needs to be done, but it fails to give us the desire or even the power to do what needs to be done. And Paul's point is only Christ can do that for us. The law can't do that in our hearts. Philippians 2.13 For God is working in you both giving you the desire and the power 
to do what pleases Him. So Paul goes on. But when the fullness, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Let's stop there. In the fullness of time, at just the right time, the time that God planned before the foundation of creation itself, God sent His Son to complete the contract, the promise that He made to Abraham. God the Father promised. God the Son came and fulfilled the promise. God is one. Jesus is both mediator and the fulfillment of our promise, the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus' sacrifice took away our sins for all eternity. And Jesus came as one who was under the law and lived a perfect, sinless life under the law that he might be able to give us his righteousness through the cross of Calvary. Then Paul himself being a Jew, he was once under the law. He goes on to say this as we finish verse 5, that we might receive the adoption as sons. This is an astounding truth and privilege that Paul is talking about. I love this section in 1 John chapter 3. The New Living Translation, verses 1 through 3. And this is, this is the, an expression of, of what Paul was sharing from his heart. See how very much our Father loves us. Our Father made the promise. See how much the Son loves us. He came and fulfilled the promise. And now He calls us His children. And that's exactly what we are. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown, He's not shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we, we will be like Him, for we will see Him face to face as He really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure even as Christ is pure. You see, walking with Christ, it's a love relationship. Why do we want to keep ourselves pure? Because Christ gave his all for us that, <laughs> that we might walk with him and fall in love with him and, and be his child and, and, and be a child of the living God. And Paul goes on, verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts crying out, Abba, Father. So now Paul says we're both legally adopted as full sons. Uh, justified is a legal expression, a court expression. It's not guilty, just as if you'd never sinned. It's a legal relationship through the blood of Christ on the cross of Calvary but it's also a spiritual relationship. We're born spiritually. We're given new life through the Spirit of the living God. 
the spirit of his son. And so we're literally, legally, and spiritually adopted into the very family of God himself. We have the spirit of the only begotten son, Jesus Christ, in our hearts. We now have spiritual DNA in our veins, our spiritual veins. Therefore, we can call God Abba. The Hebrew word that means Papa or Daddy. And he loves to pour his, his heart, his life, his love into our lives. Therefore, verse 7, Therefore you're no longer a slave. No longer a slave. Trying to earn God's grace, God's forgiveness. No, we're a son, 100%. And if a son, this is astounding, if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. What a beautiful progression Paul has given us here. I want you to look at this. First, we're set free from slavery. We're no longer under the law. Christ has done it all. He lives in our hearts. He gave us eternal life eternal salvation and he loves us so much that he continues to work in our hearts until we will see him face to face and become fully like him. Then he declares us as sons who are adopted into God's family legally and spiritually. We now have God's spiritual DNA in our hearts. Nothing or no one can take that away, Paul says. Don't let the Judaizers with, with their law try to take that away from you. And finally, as sons, we are made heirs, full heirs. God's family, all that he has, becomes ours. wonder what that means. Well, 1 Corinthians 2.9 gives us a little bit of an idea of what that means to become an heir of God, what he has for us. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So, what does it mean to be a son, a daughter of the king? Legally, uh, just as if you'd never sinned spiritually, God's DNA pulsating spiritually in your life. What does that mean? What does it mean to, to be an heir? What do we have to look forward to? Well, it's beyond our wildest imagination. That's what the verse says. But I can tell you this. The best is yet to come. Paul had an amazing truth for these Galatians who were, who were trying to be pulled away from their Savior. And Paul says, oh, don't let that happen. Look at all that Christ has done for you. And not only that, the best is yet to come. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank You for Your Word. It is so encouraging. Lord, that our God would make a promise and it was not a conditional covenant or promise. It was an unconditional promise. God said to Abraham, through your seed, I will send the seed, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, God the Son, would fulfill the promise that God the Father made on the cross of Calvary. Thank you for loving us, our Father. Thank you for giving yourself for us, Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you for making us a new creation. Christ living in us. God, we're overwhelmed with what you have done for us. And these promises, uh, these, this word that Paul has given that is so applicable for us today that we can just rest in your promise. We can rest in your love for us. We can rest in what you have done for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. We love you so much. And Lord, as we close this time tonight, I I thank you for this opportunity to be together in your word and may you even knit our hearts closer together in these days, no matter how difficult the times are, through your word and the teaching of your word and Jesus, you speaking to our hearts. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for...